0: everybody, it is so good, and it is cold, I know. And last week it was hot. Next week it will probably snow. <laughs> that in mind, guys, it's good. You're closer this time, most of you, and that is cool as well, too. Hopefully it won't be long that we are back inside, social distancing, but either way, we are going to worship together, it is good. We have been apart for too long, and it is good to be back together. And so, if you would, let's just pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for being so good to us allowing us to know you at all, allowing us to know of a Savior who loves us enough to die for our sins. Father, I pray that as, as we think about how this applies to us as individuals, that your Holy Spirit would just do that work in our heart to change it. And Lord, I pray right now for those who are a part of our family who aren't. Right, guys, let's continue on the worship through song. How long has it been since you've been called a child? If you're a husband, it probably hasn't been that long, right? Hmm, <laughs> I heard that. Music. I can hear myself blowing in the wind. How would you answer that question in your own life? What is the meaning of life? Why are we here? If you ask some in our society, we are here because pond scum got it just right, and we evolved into two-legged thinking creatures. I know that more than a couple of you have heard of a gentleman by the name of Tom Brady. Scream out loud if you have not heard of Tom Brady. (laughs) All right. Tom Brady is now quarterback, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Long-time Patriot, big-time winner. He is old, and he is still doing very well. And several years ago he was he was doing an interview for 60 minutes and at that time they were 15 and 0 looking at the perfect season and he's he's married to a supermodel and he at least at that time probably still He was the lowest-paid member of his two-person family, and he was doing all right. You know, he's a good-looking guy. He's paid well. He's married to a supermodel. His team was perfect, and he was on the TV sixty minutes. And they were they were asking him questions. You know, multimillionaire and. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings at the time and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. And he said, me? I think God. there's got to be more than this. It can't be what it's all cracked up to be. And the interviewer looked at him, and he asked him the question. He said, well, what then is the answer that I wish I knew? I wish I knew. So the man who seemingly has everything, seemingly living the American dream, so to speak, and he has more money than any of us could ever think about, And even he then thought there's got to be more than this there's got to be more than going back and forth doing right and doing wrong we were taught that's who we are right and so what is the meaning of life I want you to hear the perspective of in Ecclesiastes I'm going to read the first 14 verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and just listen listen to this uh, this optimism <laughs> the words of the teacher son of David king in Jerusalem meaningless meaningless says the teacher utterly meaningless everything is meaningless what does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the Sun Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the north and turns, I mean, to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full to the place the streams come from. There they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time." There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to the burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So there you have it. The optimist approached the life. And I hope that you are slightly more optimistic than the writer of Ecclesiastes, but I want us to, to really get a, an understanding of Ecclesiastes, and then really hear Ecclesiastes, and then apply Ecclesiastes, and so first, the understanding of the book. And I think it's important for us to understand the basic genre of Of the text (laughs) but it's it's located in the wisdom part of the Jewish text in the tradition of Israel and thus we must exercise great care in our interpretation because if you can turn to chapter 7 in the wind think about what chapter 7 verse 13 says how would you interpret scripture Ecclesiastes 7 verse 13 and just think about this it says consider what God has done who can straighten what he has made crooked so at a glance it looks like maybe maybe god messed it up and how are we going to fix what god messed up but that can't be right that can't be what it means because god is perfect in everything he does and so we must be careful in our interpretation and we must understand too the overall structure what's going on here there's two main voices here the preacher or the teacher as it's called in NIV the, the teacher and this is the main voice throughout the book this is who is basically doing the talk in it except for the voice of the narrator and so the the narrator speaks the first 11 verses and then the last few verses chapter 12 verse 8 to the end and everything in between pretty much is the teacher And so there's these two that are going on. And so that's what we're hearing. And so the key to understanding the book of Ecclesiastes is found in the very beginning and the very end, when the narrator is speaking. And so in the beginning, we have the the preacher or the teacher's basic message, and in the end, we hear the narrator's final assessment. And so this is what is going to give us the meaning of this book. What the main terms that we need to get down to or two ideas we've read it a ton of times already. The word meaning is vanity. 35 times through these 12 chapters we hear meaning. We just read it several times in the first 14 verses. And really it's Pointless, Futility, vapor, a chasing after the wind. You see the wind coming right now from your right to your left. Can you catch it? And if you were to try, you would look foolish to everybody else out here wishing that you would try right now. And the other word or the other phrase that is used several times is under the sun nothing new under the sun. Under the sun is referring to here, I mean, 29 times. It's denoting life without reference to So, as we go through, vanity or meaningless is futility or pointlessness, and under the sun means life without reference to God. So, I want to just point it out here, though, that the writer of this book is not an atheist. <laughs> he may be like Eeyore and slightly depressed, but he uses, he uses the word for God. He uses Elohim, God the Creator, and not Yahweh, which is interesting. Yahweh is the relational God relational word for God but but here as you read through this text like in chapter 10 he talks about meaninglessness but in verse 19 he seems to say that money buys happiness that money is the answer to everything so we have to be careful how we interpret this and So we move from a simple understanding to actually hearing Ecclesiastes. And and so, looking at this from the Old Testament context of the book of Ecclesiastes, the, the teacher observes two problems. And... his mentality he points out two basic things is really what we see under the sun is permanent and what we see under the sun is pointless and so basically whatever you see is pointless is meaningless a chasing after the wind and he says in the beginning in uh, chapter one we see wisdom wisdom is pointless in other words, I tried wisdom, I researched wisdom, I thirst, and I searched after wi- wisdom, and I, when I found wisdom, I found wisdom to be meaningless. And then he moves on. Chapter 2, 1 through 11, he tries out pleasure. He tries out the goodness of life, or you die kind of thing. And tries out pleasure and finds it to be pointless. Imagine that, right? wine, possessions, all of these things pointless. And I guess you too in your life, could you say the same thing? You thirst and search after pleasure and found it to be pointless. Chapter 2, verse 20 Labor, working, working pointless. Think about that right now, I think of you, I see some who are working, you're in the the start of your career, some are at the middle, some are nearing the end, and others, (laughs) your career is in the rearview mirror, you're retired. and if you look at this, would you think that labor is pointless? You know, it's pointless, but the writer of Ecclesiastes, labor is pointless, and then, just in case we thought there was hope for anything chapter 9 verses 1 through 6 life is pointless so if you are standing on the edge of a bridge and you're looking over do not read ecclesiastes it is not talking you off the ledge type of literature so with all of that in mind be encouraged everybody it's a great day Life. Pointless labor going to work, pointless pleasure. Don't try that either because it is pointless and wisdom pointless. But here's the Ecclesiastes. The teacher is not the final word. It is not even the right word. The narrator gives two guidelines nearing the end when we get to the end chapter 12 as he is summing up the matter after after the writer says everything is meaningless like literally in verse 8 he says everything is meaningless Then the conclusion from the narrator. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, they're collecting sayings like Son, of anything in addition to them, of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. So here it is. Here's the bottom line. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And so, and keep his commandments. So fear God is, is not not just like fearing an abuser, or if somebody breaks in your house and you're afraid that they're going to kill you. <clears throat> it is not like that. It is fear God is in being in all of God being in all or standing in all of God and not stuff so all of the things of life meaning but instead of the stuff be in all of God and then keep his commandments but why would we keep his commandments if everything is meaningless right everything under the sun meaningless. But beyond that, we see the end of the text speaking of judgment. And so we obey God, we keep His commandments because one day we will be judged. Every every public deed, every private thought before God. If you think about the most embarrassing things that you have ever done, sinning against the holy God. will be judged for that. Everything that you have done that would be the most noteworthy and thing that spoke most highly of your character, God sees it and goes before Him. And, And so if you think about the two guidelines, fear God, keep His commandments. Romans 3, 23 says that Pretty much we do neither of these two things. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We're all sinful. And so can we, do we, perfectly fear God and keep his commandments? No. And so if we look in the New Testament context of it, and we look at in 311, 318, we see that all of us live under the curse if you look at the world from a worldly perspective, from the perspective of people that don't know Christ, it's about what they search after, how they define life, what is the meaning of life for them. And so, from their perspective, getting all the stuff occurs. Some know it, and some don't. Some will admit it, some won't. But this curse is by divine design. And this sounds terrible. It sounds like God is cursing us all. But no, God gave us free will and we jumped in line to sin. But the curse alerts us of our sin. Think about how awesome it is. To know something's wrong in time, to do something about it before it's too late. This is the blessing of God that we see because the curse. This curse points us to Jesus. This curse points us to the gospel. The curse in Genesis 3.15, the serpent, you know, the sin, the fall of man, all of this shows the grace of God and points us to his salvation. And so Jesus redeems us from the curse of God. He redeems us from the curse that we deserve. And so the curse reveals the hunger the glory of God that triumphs over it. So in the curse we see our failure, but we see his bad, his good. and. Suddenly, in Christ, there is something new under the sun. You know? Suddenly, there is something new. It's not just, well, that's going to fail. That's going to fail. You try that. I've been there. (laughs) It stinks. You know, I've done this. I've done that. I've read this. I've read that. All bites. It's all bad. You're going to hate it. Believe me. It's bad. But then Jesus. The answer to the curse. There's something new. Revelation 21, Behold, I am making all things new. And in response to Ecclesiastes, Praise God he made all things new, Because all the bad stinks. It's all bad. But then also in Christ, No longer is anything meaningless. Because he brings meaning to life. He brings meaning to everything we do. And in Christ, even in the things that Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes calls meaningless, we can find great meaning because of Christ. Even in wisdom that he says is meaningless. Think of how many conversations that you can have with co-workers or neighbors or family members with God's wisdom in your heart that would lead them to something new, that would lead them away from seeking pleasure and seeking Christ and being changed forever. How good is God in this? And so where we we're never even good at fearing God and keeping his commandments or being in awe of God and keeping his commandments. We could do neither. Jesus did both. So how do we apply it? How do we read all of this? We read this text. We read this book and think, you know what? I'm going to sit around with my family and I'm going to plug that into my life. How do we do this? I want to give just a few things before we, before we close, is one, we see to be warned about empty pursuits. It's kind of like my grandpa was an ancient old man to me as I was growing up. I mean, he was born in 1905, and so even from today's standard, he was an old dude. He would be 115. I love my grandfather and I spent a lot of time with him that's how I learned to garden and I learned I learned a lot of things from him but he would just he would talk and as we would work in the garden or work on this he was a carpenter so as we were learning as we were building things he would just talk and he would he would tell me these things and and I remember from like a 12 year old perspective wow this dude's done a lot of stuff and he would tell me the things that he did and he would tell me these things from the perspective of a loving grandfather. Where he would say, don't do these things. And he would tell me about smoking and how dumb smoking is. And he said, everybody smokes. I grew up with everybody that smokes. And now everybody has cancer. And But now everybody's addicted to smoking. But you're not addicted to smoking because you've never smoked. So hear it from me. Don't smoke. And." It- out with idiots and he's the first one that told me that kids he said teenagers are dumb teenagers are dumb teenagers but teenagers are not wise when I was a teenager I made dumb decisions and so through the dumb years the more you listen to people who have already been through the teenage years the less likely you are to not do dumb things that teenagers tend to do and so my grandfather would tell me about listen to old people because old people have already done all the dumb things and if you do what old people do instead of what young people do, you will do less dumb things. And at that point, I remember thinking, whoa, whoa, why don't all teenagers listen to old people? They're geniuses. But then I start looking, later in life when I cut off a finger I start noticing who has, you know, less than 10 fingers. And what that reminds me is, is that other people also did bad things. They also cut off things. And so there are scars from early life choices. But I learned from my grandfather what we can learn from Scripture. Be warned about empty pursuits. You can pursue a lot of things. You can put a lot of time, effort, and money into a lot of what we celebrate you for. But, you could lose a finger. You could lose your life. You could lose your reputation, your testimony. But even in that, if none of that happens, you waste your life. And I learned from my grandfather, don't waste your life. Don't do dumb stuff and just waste your life. But then, also, we learn in applying Ecclesiastes is be laboring in the Lord. Be laboring in the Lord. In other words, serve Him, work for Him. Don't waste your life. And 1 Corinthians 15 ends, Lord, and a labor for the Lord is not in vain. I share this verse often at funerals when someone has given their life to Christ and they have served in the church for 107 years that you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain and so the opposite is also true we can work as hard as we want on things that are going to burn in the fire on judgment day and be gone or we can spend our lives laboring in the Lord and things that last. What lasts for eternity? I, th- I think about this all the time as I preach and do not lead in worship. My job ends. In eternity in heaven, Brian will still have plenty to do in leading worship, right? I will not preach the gospel any longer in eternity. And so we will all join the praise band. We will all be worshipers. And then, even if you think your voice stinks, the new body, we'll all sing. We will all worship the one who was things that matter. Those are the things that will not burn up. And so, what is the meaning of life? You know, how can we apply this? We, we're warned about empty pursuits. We want to be sure longing for his return as we go through our lives perhaps we pay a glance to where we've been and we set our focus of our daily steps where we are now following Christ but always with an eye looking to that day which could be today whatever day he chooses to return let us long for that and I remember as a kid growing up I feared that day I feared his return because it will be judgment and I am sinful And will I be found worthy to be his will I really go to heaven and all of these things that I have been taught are they true and I think it comes back to where we were earlier in the worship service flawless. and we know because Romans 3 and our eyes tell us that we're sinful. But, because of Christ, we're flawless. Because He took our sin, because He bore our pain, He bore what we deserve to be paid for our sin, He took those wages and paid for them. We're flawless. And so we can look to his return with great excitement our sins that Christ died for are gone and so we can stand before him as righteous And, and like scripture says on that day longing for that day and so the bottom line summing this up even if you are Eeyore and life seems to be just one big eh. we know that Christ is the Lord of our lives we know that he owns the future and he has equipped us to walk after him, to serve him, to live for him and we don't have to fall prey to the things the world says is good that the world says that we A big house, 12 kids, a supermodel wife, and you should, hopefully, be millionaires. Of course, that's what we're all shooting for. We listen to scripture, and Solomon, the wise king, said, look, God, I tried that. Thousand women, thousand, and still meaningless. I bet his toilet was made out of gold. And still, meaningless. All of these things, he says, I tried that, meaningless. But in Christ, we knew. And so, you and I, we can make the choice to not live like the world. And our life will matter. Our eternity will matter. And we have an opportunity while we're still living this life to see like Christ has shown us so that everybody's life can matter eternity and so is that I want to close in prayer but I want you to think about this this is not a sermon to lead anybody to, to lead everybody to think life is great if we are serving our great God, if we love Him if He has paid for our sins, so think on these things as we pray Father, we just thank you We thank you for your love we thank you for how much you love us and how you have given us meaningful lives and we don't have to to get the fullness out of life because this is all there is we can live a full life because we know this isn't all there is and so lord encourage us in this help us to have opportunities to speak to our neighbors give us the guts to speak to our family our co-workers about what truly is the meaningless the meaning of life thank you for being so meaningful to us thank you for this family that we can get back together and serve love or mask to mask, whichever the case may be. We take the next steps as far as whatever normal is, and, you know, when we go in the building, how we go about doing that safely. And I know this. We're getting there, and we are going to meet together. Whether it's inside or outside, we're going to meet together. I felt Sunday School went very well today. We were spaced out well-attended, great teaching. And so we are We are pressing forward. Just pray for wisdom and be ready. But I want to remind us all, even as we go back into the building at whatever point that is, being his church has never been about the building. And so this has been a great, great opportunity for us to learn how to be a church even if there is no building and though the building is new and many of you remember what it was like to be in the church without this building universally the church has nothing to do with the building and so let's continue to love each other to look for needs to meet needs to still make disciples even if we never have a building again in our future that's not the so I think this is a great reminder for and continue to be the body of Christ. We bring you glory as you show your power through what you do. And we pray all of this in Christ's name.